I am so grateful for Legacy and for all the other camps that we do and for our children's ministry and our youth ministry. And I'm grateful for all of you that have served, um, especially at this week, at this camp, those of you who gave so that some of the students could attend. Because what this did was it grounded our kids. It grounded the next generation. And the theme of the camp was reality check. And it gave our kids a reality check between what's real and what's not. And the truth of the matter is, we also need a reality check. We need to know that there's something bigger, that there's something better. Something other than what we see right here, because there's a pull between the two. See, we may not be able to put our finger on it, but sometimes we feel as if there's a pull to do things this way and to settle for what I see in front of me. But other times I feel there's this pull that I can do something better than what I'm doing. I can be better than what I am. I can respond better than I do. It's like we're in the middle of two worlds and they're both pulling this way. It's a war of the worlds. One world is the kingdom of God. And that's a world where it bleeds into eternity. It's future driven. It's a kingdom that calls for humility and love. It calls for forgiveness, for strength, for power, for grace, and for conviction. It calls us to have a servant's heart, a humble attitude, and to live empowered by love. And the other world is the one that we're living in right this very moment. It's temporary. It's not meant to be forever. It's often ruled by our flesh and manipulated by Satan. It's a world where I want what I want, I want it now, I want you to agree with me, and I want to have my way. See, Satan doesn't care what I want, and he doesn't care how I get it. As long as what I want or how I receive it draws me away from God. So as we continue in our series, Counterfeit, a reality check is central to us standing strong against the deceptions, the lies, and the tricks of the enemy. The Apostle Paul warned the church in Corinth that Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. So he'll take the things of God and imitate them or twist them and manipula manipulate them to his own purposes. And what he wants us to do is to convince us to settle for the temporary things of this world rather than wait on the promises of God. See, can we agree that right now the world that we're living in may be just a little nuts. It's a world that seems to be going crazy with making sure that I let you know what I want. I'm going to let you know that I'm displeased. I'm not happy, and I'm not willing to wait on the promises of God to get what I want. And in this world with social media, it's so easy to sit behind my computer screen and click away. And if somebody does something I don't like or I don't agree with, I'm just going to put it out there for the, everybody to see and let everybody else get involved with telling whoever it was I posted about what a jerk they are. In fact, with social media, do you know that there's been a rise of um, social, um, social, vigil bleh, social vigilantism? That's where people will just get up and they start getting all involved and they don't know the true story. They know this much and all of a sudden everybody's got an opinion. People have lost jobs 
They've had to move. They've had their addresses posted on social media so everybody around them can go tell them what a jerk they are. They've lost scholarships, been kicked out of colleges because they did something someone didn't agree with. And if that's not enough, then there are the um, protests and endless, endless, endless petitions. I can go on a social media and we can call for a boycott. And when I do that, you know what will happen? I'll get everybody on my side and nobody will ask for that service. They won't shop at that store. They won't be involved in that. And that's not enough to get my point across. There are protests and sit-ins and everything else. Do you know that I read a report that said in March of 2017, that's just a few months ago, there were 585 protests and sit-ins somewhere within the United States. 585. It seems that in today's culture, there are so many different tools and weapons that we can use to make our wants and desires known. And that's the world we're living in right now. Society tells us that we need to stand up for and demand our rights. And if we don't feel we're being heard, there's a bunch of things that we can do to make sure that people know that I'm not happy or I'm displeased. And it's so easy to get caught up in that mindset. It's a mindset that says, I'm not happy, therefore somebody must do something. The other week, I was, uh, my daughter asked me to pick up my grandson at school, and he uh, goes to school um, uh, at Waikia Inter, which is on Poinico, and you guys know, school traffic is nuts. So I'm coming down Poinico, that was a mistake, don't do that, and I'm stopped at the light by Ivalani and Poinico, and I'm actually stopped far enough back that I can see the sign that says the light up ahead is red, and it's blinking, so I stop, and we're sitting there, I have Caleb on, so I'm not worried, and I'm singing along to the song, and the light is green, turns green, and all these cars start coming up this way, and we're not moving this way. Now, we should be moving this way, but we're not moving this way, and all the cars are coming this way. So I figure, oh, the guy up ahead needs to make a left. But everybody in this lane, nobody's nice. Nobody pauses and lets him go, and we're sitting there. And then the light turns red, and we're still, we still hadn't moved. I'm like, oh, okay, but I got Caleb, no problem. <clears throat> light turns green, nobody lets this guy go, we're sitting there. The guy behind me decides, I'm over it. Beep! Beep, beep! Beep! And I'm like, how long is this guy going to beep? And he keeps beep. Finally, the guy in front goes. We move up, but guess what? Second or third car, left turn. <laughs> like, oh, man, light turns red. I'm like, oh, are you kidding me? I got to listen to this guy. So where I'm sitting there in my car, and all these thoughts are going in my mind, and I'm being pulled. And the light turns green, and nobody lets the guy go, so the guy in back of me, beep! And I'm like, you know what, I'm going to put my car in park. <clears throat> now, all these there's thoughts going on, like a whole bunch of thoughts. So one of the thoughts is, I'm going to put my car in park, I'm going to walk to his car, I'm going to knock on the window and say, um, I don't get it. What are you trying to have happen with the incessant beeping? I mean, like, do you think we're going to sprout wings and fly? I, what? I, I, explain to me, please, why you're beeping. But at the same time, I'm thinking, you can't do that because you're a pastor. You go to New Hope. All you people, somebody might see me. 
At the same time, I'm thinking, dude, you don't know who has all the power because I'm in front of you. I can go slow. All these thoughts that I'm being pulled, pulled, what do I do, what do I do? And the thoughts are going through, like, go tell the guy, don't tell the guy, you go to church. I thought, what if I do it and then you guys see me? Or what if one of you guys is in the truck? If you are in the truck, please tell me, what were you thinking? I don't know what you were thinking. But we're pulled in so many different directions. And I know that what I should do. I know what the right thing to do is. And don't you guys have that battle? It may not be at a red light. Maybe you're in a checkout line. Maybe you're on the phone with customer service. Maybe it's with your family, your friends, or your coworkers. Something you saw in the news or something posted on social media and you get pulled on how you're supposed to respond. See, this war of the world just pulls at us. One, our flesh pulls and it prods us to respond with anger, with frustration, with sassy words. Yet the kingdom of God calls us to grace, to mercy, and to kindness. And it's which world am I going to give into? See, if I call myself a Christian, then I'm called to a different standard. I'm called to a different way of dealing with injustice, discomfort. There, this isn't something we do because we go to New Hope and somebody might see us. It's something we do because Jesus Christ himself calls us to a higher standard. In one of his most famous sermons, and it's not in your notes, so it, he says this, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you not to resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. And whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks you, and from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But... I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. We live in the middle of two worlds, and we can choose two ways, one of two ways of responding. See, I can be like the world, and I can seek revenge. I can demand my rights. I can force others to accept my way of thinking or to agree with me. I can treat those that I, who agree with me nicely, politely, with honor, while totally dishonoring and being disrespectful to those who have a different opinion. We can be like the world. Or we can seek a different way. It's a higher way. It's a better and more difficult way. The Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, Now I, Paul, urge you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I who am meek when face to face with you, but bold toward you when absent. I ask that when I am present, I need not be bold with the confidence with which I propose to be courageous against some, who regard us as if walking according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful. For the destruction of fortresses, we are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. 
See, we don't have to battle against the things we don't like that make us uncomfortable or that we feel are an injustice in the same way as everyone else. We have weapons at our disposal that are not for everybody else. Therefore, those of us who are called by his name. And you could say that we believers have a set of super weapons available to us that do not belong to anyone else. So today, we're going to actually look at the story of three young men who refused to fight in the same manner as everyone else. They remembered who they were, and they used what the Apostle Paul referred to as weapons of our warfare in their decision to not compromise or become like the world they were living in. So if you have your Bibles and you want to, you can turn to Daniel chapter 1. It's in the Old Testament. And I'm actually going to go between 1 and chapter 3, um, so you can go back and read it at home if you want. But in chapter 1, Daniel's talking about a time Babylon had defeated Israel, and they had brought um, the exiles to Babylon. And it says here, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the articles of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar to the house of his God. And he brought these articles into the treasure house of his God. Then the king instructed Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles, young men in whom there was no blemish, but good-looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge and quick to understand, who had ability to serve in the king's palace, and whom they might teach the language and literature of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed, appointed for them a daily provision of the king's delicacies and of the wine which he drank, and three years of training for them, so that at the end of that time they might serve before the king. Now, from among those of the sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And to them, the chief of the eunuchs gave names. He gave na Daniel the name Belshazzar, to Hananiah Shadrach, to Mishael Meshach, and to Azariah Abednego. See, the exiles were going to be entrenched in Babylonian culture. They were going to be taught the language and the literature and the customs of the Babylonians. And then some of them would serve before the king and others would be brought back into Israel to bring in the Babylonian culture into this defeated land. They were going to be fed with the same food and drink as the king instead of what they were used to eating. Now remember that the Israelites had a strict dietary guidelines that God gave Moses and which they had been following. But now they were going to be eating the food of the king. And on top of that, notice that their names were changed. See, Daniel, whose name means judgment of God, was changed to Belshazzar, which means favored by Bel. And Bel is one of the chief Babylonian gods. Hananiah, whose name means God is favored, was changed to Shadrach, which is command of Aku, who's the god of the moon to the Babylonians. Mishael, whose name is who is like God, had his name changed to Meshach, which means who is like Aku, the Babylonian god of the moon. And then Azariah, whose name means God has helped, had his name changed to Abednego, servant of Nebo, and he was a Babylonian god of wisdom. And what the Babylonians intended to do was to alter their identity. And instead of being called by their Hebrew names and remembering who they truly were, they would be called 
and identified by the perverted counterfeit of their names. And these new names were intended to shift their identity from the one true God and align them instead with the Babylonian gods. They were designed to alter how the Hebrews thought of and saw themselves. Babylonians understood that identity drives conviction. So they were set out to change the identities of the Hebrews in order to shift their conviction. The new names were intended to move the Hebrews away from the culture that they knew and they grew up with, the culture of the one true God, and align with the Babylonian culture. Now, in the same way, the enemy comes to us and he tries to shift us away from what we know, away from who God called us to be, away from the identity that God gave us. And this world wants to shift us and shape us into the culture of itself and to move us away from who God is. Because remember, the enemy can't create. All he can do is take what already exists, and he can twist it, and he can manipulate it to his own purpose. And if he can get us to shift away from who God created us to be, then we'll begin to find our identities in something else. Now, I'm going to ask you to do something. It'll take just a few seconds. If you've got your notes out in front of you, a piece of paper, your phone, take the notes out in that. And I'm going to give you a few seconds. And I want you to write in three sentences. If I were to ask you, who are you? Answer that question in three sentences. And I'll give you just a couple seconds. So you're answering, who, are, who am I? Not a test, so time's up. Okay, the reason I asked you to do that is if you were to look at it, you know how most of us define ourselves? Our jobs, whether we're married, whether we're a parent, something that we do, whether it's a sport, a hobby, or some of us identified ourselves by our past, shortcomings, addictions, or failures. And whatever it is, that we find our identity in, not only shapes our decisions and our opinions, but it causes us to drift back and forth between the loudest voices. And from shifting back and forth between the loudest voices, it's a very short walk to compromise our values and our commitments. And that's exactly what the Babylonians were doing to the Hebrews. They changed their identity, and from there, it would be their values and their commitments. But instead of giving in and assimilating to the world that they were living in, they held fast to their identities, even in the face of imminent danger. So if you were were to look in chapter 3, Daniel continues the account of their captivity, and he tells about a time that Nebuchadnezzar had a 90-foot-tall, 9-foot-wide statue built. And he brings it into the city, and then he calls everybody from all the provinces over. And there's a statue, and the people are gathered all over. And he says this, that at the sound of worship music, everybody is to bow down and worship the statue. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are there, and they remembered something. They remembered who they are. They remembered that they're Hananiah. God has delivered. I'm... Mishael, who is like God? I'm Azariah, God has helped. 
So when the worship music starts and everybody bows, they stood. They stood firm because identity drives convictions. And they knew who they were, and they were convinced that they're not going to bow. Because they remembered the second commandment. See, the second commandment says, you shall not make any idols and bow down and worship it. And they remembered that, and so they stood strong. And what happened is the people started to talk, and they started to murmur, and they started to grumble. Now, isn't that true for us? When we stand and we're going to live for God, the people around us are going to talk, that they might grumble, that they might say things, that they're going to shift pressure on us to get us to bow down and give in. And that's what was happening to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And so they're brought to the king. And the king says to them, is it true that you won't bow to my statue? And, you know, if you bow, great. If you don't bow, then I'm going to have you cast into a furnace. And then he challenges their belief, and he says, and which God is able to save you from me? But they remembered who they were. And so they replied, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. Now, that didn't make Nebuchadnezzar back down. He didn't go, oh, okay, well, in that case. He got angry. He wanted a point to be made. He wanted vengeance. He wanted to make a statement, and he wanted people to know, you do not deny your king. And so he has the furnace turned up seven times hotter. And it's so hot that the people bringing Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the furnace died. But that didn't cause Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to change their mind. They remembered who they were. God is favored. Who is like God? God has helped. And so they're in the furnace. And Nebuchadnezzar notices that in the furnace, there's not three men, but four. And he described the fourth man like a god. So he brings Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego out. And he says to them, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who has sent an angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serving or worship any god except their own god. See, we don't have to fight this war of the worlds in the same way that everybody else does. We don't have to jump onto social media and blast anyone. We don't have to protest. We don't have to petition. We don't have to bully people. We don't have to grumble. We don't have to complain. We can apply three weapons that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego used in our commitment to stand strong with the kingdom of God. And if you're taking notes, the first one is this. Know my true identity. Know my true identity. So even though... Their names had been changed to perverted replicas of what they truly were. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did not allow it to change their hearts or who they were. Their ability to stay true to who they were didn't just happen in front of a bunch of people in front of a statue with a refusal to bow down. It started years ago when they were brought into Babylon. 
And at that time, they were given the king's food. And Daniel asked um, Ashpenaz, who was in charge of them, and he says, you know what, we, we, we don't want to eat that. Because they remembered, we have dietary laws. God gave us these foods that we need to eat so that we could honor him with our bodies. And we don't want the king's food. And Ashpenaz says, you know what, I, I can't. You don't understand that if I give you what you want to eat, and the king notices these other guys are healthy and you're not, guess whose head is going to roll? So Daniel makes a deal with him. You just try us. Just try us. And if it works, great. Let us continue eating this way. If it doesn't, then we'll eat the king's food. Well, God blessed them, and they looked healthy, and in fact, they were smarter and more intelligent than the rest. And so every time they ate a meal, every time they continued eating the food that they grew up with, the dietary law that God gave them, every time they reestablished their identity in Christ, every time they ate a meal, it's a really small thing, but in that small thing, they were remembering, I am a Jew. I am a child of the Most High God. I have a future and a hope, and it is in Him. And every time they ate that meal, they recommitted and reestablished their identity. See, the small things that we do prepare us for the larger things ahead. Jesus said, he who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. And he who was unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. It's in our so-called small decisions every day that we get to reestablish our identity in Christ. As a follower, it's when I choose to do the small things that I remind myself, I'm a child of the king. I am set for eternity. So what choices do we have to make on a daily basis that would reestablish your commitment and your identity in Christ? And be honest with yourself. Is it in how you spend your money? Is it in the words that you use? Is it in your work ethic? Is it in how you treat those around you? See, what you need to do is you need to draw a line. We need to draw a line. And I'm going to reject the things of this world. And I'm going to reject, um, re-identify myself with it. And I'm going to step over and I'm going to remind myself of who I am in Christ. Because when I remind myself of who I am in Christ, my identity will drive my conviction. And when the time came to say no to bowing down to Nebuchadnezzar's statue, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had recognized that bowing was wrong. They recognized who they were. They recognized their strength. And so they were able to say no to the pressure that was put on them. When the king was talking to them, and he says, you won't bow to my statue? And he challenges them with their faith in God because he says to them, what God can save you from me? They did not yield. In fact, they said, you know what? No. No matter what, we won't bow. They were not shaped by the world that they were living in. In his letter to the church in Rome, Paul says to them, do not be shaped by this world. Instead, be changed within by a new way of thinking. Then you will be able to decide what God wants for you. You will know what is good and pleasing to him and what is perfect. 
See, we should not be shaped by the values and the morals of the world that we live in. In fact, we're not supposed to look like them. Instead, we need to adjust our way of thinking and match it up to God's so that we look more like Him. And I'm going to be honest with you, that's not easy unless we're first grounded in who we are in Christ. Now, you'll notice that under the first point, there's about five scriptures, and if you look at them, they're actually scriptures that define who you are. They tell us how God sees us. And I put them in there because what I want you to do is over this next week, I want you to keep the notes out, look at those scriptures, and read those. Remind yourself, this is who God says I am. Start shifting our identity to who God says we are. Because once I know this is who I am, this is what God says, then guess what? It doesn't matter what anybody else says. I can stand against pressure. I can stand against temptation. Because God says this about me. I'm God's uniquely created child. Our Father intimately and greatly loves you. You are accepted on his merit, not your own. He does not fret and he doesn't worry over you. In fact, he rejoices over you with singing. So when we're confident in that, when we're confident in who God says we are, we will not conform to the counterfeit image that this world wants to give us. I want you to put your identity in Christ, who no holds barred, unconditionally, full-heartedly, loves and accepts you. Because once you're certain of your identity, once we have this confidence, then we're able to use the next two weapons to stand against the world. So the next one we can use is, remember this, we are not a body, we are a soul. See, we often think that this body here, this is it. And it houses a soul. That God made this body, he put my soul in it. However, it's the opposite way around. God created my soul and he encased it in this body. C.S. Lewis, who wrote Mere Christianity and the Chronicles of Narnia, is often credited with saying, you, are not, you do not have a soul. You are a soul. You have a body. The Apostle Paul said pretty much the same thing. He says, therefore... We do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, your inner man is being renewed day by day. Right now, right this second, as I'm standing here and as you're sitting there, our bodies are decaying. But I want to let you in on something. We often think that the clock to eternity starts the day we die. Eternity already exists, and our souls were created to live in eternity. Our bodies were not meant to be there. Our bodies are not meant to live forever, but our souls are. We're created for so much more than this world offers. And when we're confident that there's something more, then we're able to make the same type of choice that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego made. Because their identity drove their convictions, they were able to stand firm against Nebuchadnezzar, and they said, we will not bow to your gods, and our God will save us. And even if he does not, we will not bow. 
And the reason they were able to say, even if he does not, was because they weren't concerned about saving their bodies. They were concerned about saving their soul. Our souls were created to live in eternity, not our bodies. And that's why Jesus told his followers, I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more. See, after our bodies die, nothing else can harm us. So we need to do more to protect our souls than we do to protect our bodies. And Paul encouraged the church to, to look ahead, to look to eternity and to not allow the things of this world to distract us and keep, make us fall short of what God intended for us, what his promises are. Our souls, which will live forever, are being refreshed and renewed daily. And so we must look to eternity. You know, um, a couple of months ago, some of us were able to go to D.C. We were at our um, Foursquare convention. And Pastor Sheldon shared the story that we got to go on the segways and, and um, tour the city. Well, what they did prior to us go, going, because we were going to be on the road, was they made sure you knew how to use the segway. So when you stand on a segway, if you lean forward, you get to go forward faster. And when you step back or lean back, you get to brake. So they took us one at a time to try our segways. And everybody went, and they got it like one or two tries. But I kept falling forward. I kept falling forward. The guy kept having to catch me. And so finally he says to me, stop looking um, down and look ahead. That's what Paul's saying. Stop looking down. Stop looking at this world. Stop getting caught here. Look ahead. Look to eternity. What has God promised us? Who does God say you are? Look ahead. Because when I know what eternity has for me, and I'm confident of my identity in Christ, and I'm no longer worried about whether you like me or whether I want to save my body or anything like that, I can stand strong, and I can stand against the culture of this world, and I don't have to give in and do what everybody else is doing. I can be who God asked me to be. So we can know our identity. We can know that we're, we have a soul, we're not a body. And the third thing that we can do is respond with love. Everything that we do, we respond with love. If we're confident of who we are, I don't have to get angry at you or make you agree with me. I don't have to do any of that. I just need to love you. Peter wrote, above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. See, those of us who say, I'm going to follow Christ, I want to make a difference in this world, then we're called to respond to others in a very abnormal way. Jesus is the one who commanded, turn the other cheek, go the extra mile, give your cloak, pray for your enemies. Jesus calls us to an upside-down world where we humble ourselves and we serve and we love. In, his, in the book, Love Does, Bob Goff says this, People who follow Jesus are no longer typical. God is constantly inviting them into a life that moves away from typical. And even if they have normal jobs, live in normal houses, and drive normal cars, they're just not the same anymore. So I wonder, what would this world look like if you and me were so confident in our identities 
that we were no longer typical. Instead of seeking revenge or going on a social media to blast someone, what if we decided to pray for them and then wait for God to either change them, change the situation, or to direct our next steps? What if instead of bullying others and forcing them to agree with us or demanding our rights, What if we turn the other cheek and then we ask God to initiate our next step? What if instead of grumbling and complaining or protesting, we became an active part of the solution? What would the world look like if we were confident in who we are, that our identity drives our convictions? What would the world look like if we were no longer typical? I asked you to memorize the scriptures here on point one. And the reason I want you to do that is because I want you to be so certain of who you are. Confident that this is how God sees me. And this is what drives me, is how God sees me. Because when he does that, then we're able to respond in love. And God's definition of love is this. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. I wonder if we can risk not striving for and demanding what we want for just one month. And then after that, longer. If you're like, man, I I like the way this is going. I'm going to do that. Author Dave Wills said that love isn't a story with a happy ending. It's a story with no ending. And as we live our story with no ending... We actually are bringing eternity into the reach of others. So can we commit for at least the next month to respond in this war of the worlds, not as the world does, but with God's love? Now, at the beginning of the message, I asked you to write down, to describe yourself in three sentences. And the reason I did that, I mean, I did that actually with the staff before I did it with you. And the reason I did that is I wanted to make sure that I was not going to lie, that we do define ourselves by what we do. And to be honest, most everybody did. We wrote down whether we're married or all of that, except for one person. And this is what that person wrote. I am a child of the Most High God, created to do amazing and beautiful things that bring a smile to the Father and hope to a world who needs it. I am loved. Now, can you imagine what each of us could do if that's how we saw ourselves and that's how we responded to the world? If we made that change, then the church would be immovable and unstoppable. You can put away your notes and your Bibles, and we're going to pray. 
And there's some of you who've heard this message, and you're like, okay, great, I want to identify with Jesus. And I want to know how he sees me, but I've got to take the first step because I've never given my life to him yet. I've never yielded. So I'm going to ask everybody to bow their heads. And I'm going to ask, if you say, you know what, I want that. I want to know who I am in Christ. I want the confidence that you're talking of, but I need to take the first step. And I need to ask Jesus to come into my life, to be my Lord, to be my Savior. Then I'm going to ask you to raise your hand so I can pray for you. I see your hand there, and there, and there. I see it right here and here, and back there, and back there, and here. I see it right here. Thank you. Right here. Okay, you can put your hands down. We're going to pray in a few minutes. And then those of us who say, you know what? I'm going to do that challenge. For one month, I'm not going to be like this world. I'm going to be like Jesus, and I'm going to respond in his love. And if that's you and you want to make that commitment, I do. Raise your hand. Yeah. Imagine what the world will look like. Okay, we're going to put our heads down. We're going to pray. And for those of you who have received Jesus for the first time, would you pray this and follow after me? And everybody else, we can say it too to remind ourselves. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for what you've given me, for your forgiveness, and for your grace. Lord Jesus, I want to know you. So I yield my life to you, and I ask you to be my Savior, and I ask you to be the Lord of my life. And I'm going to pray, Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this congregation and what you're doing in our lives. Help us to stand strong in this culture and help us to be different, to look like you, to be your representative, and to be a child of God who brings your hope. We welcome your presence. We welcome your power in Jesus' name. And everyone says, amen.